So I do all of this stuff because I want to live, period. I want to live and I want to live because I enjoy it. And I think that's why most people stress and why we get worried because we're worried that life is going to end or life is going to change or life is going to be unfun. If I don't pay the bills, they're going to shut the water or the electric off. If I don't pay the bills, I'm going to lose my home. If I don't make enough money, my kids can't eat or go to school or have nice things. And all of those things are legitimate. But if we think about what we really want, and I think you and I are about the same age, money's great. Give me a billion dollars, but do I need it? No, I don't. I need food and I need shelter and I need love. And then I can be happy. I mean, give me some books and a fire and I'm a happy dude. 25 year old me would have been like, yeah, yeah, I want all that shit in a jet, right? And a jet ski. All right, guys, welcome back to the Men to Mastery podcast. This is episode 116 with Mickey Shook of Carry Trainer. Look, before I introduce Mickey and this episode, I'd like to introduce you to an opportunity, a call to action here for February and a member of our Men to Mastery community, longtime friend of mine, Mark Peavy. Mark is really the, the classic uh, savage servant, uh, public servant. So Mark is a veteran Throughout his professional life, he's really dedicated himself to, to bettering our, our country, protecting our freedoms, and future generations. So the PV family actually is a multi-generational military family, uh, several generations before Mark, and then now Mark's son is also proudly serving. So kudos to them, incredible folks and, and family, the, the PVs. So thank you in so many ways. Uh, but a couple more ways. So Mark continues his mission of service now through education. So enriching our future generations that way. And a way that, that Mark is, is serving in particular right here, right now, that you can also get involved in and support yourself is through an organization and a fundraiser this month uh, through a company called Mission 22, a nonprofit uh, supporting veterans. So as, as you know, that statistic which is tragic and, and probably now understated even of 22 veterans a day suffering of, from suicide, being lost to suicide. Uh, Mission 22 has a particular fundraiser and awareness campaign for February in, in which Mark is participating. It is a rowing challenge, 22,000 meters that Mark will be rowing over the course of February or maybe, maybe all at once. Uh, so that is both a challenge and for awareness and and to get uh, support and fundraising. So that uh, Mission 22 information links to their website and links to Mark's particular subset, the fundraiser that, that uh, he is captaining himself for February. That is all up uh, on our website. You can find links to that on mentomastery.com slash vets, as in veterans, mentomastery.com slash vets. You'll find the link to Mission 22, and you'll find the link to Mark's Mission 22, 22-kilometer 22 rowing challenge, which is a Facebook-based fundraiser campaign. So Mark is putting in the sweat, putting in the sweat equity, putting in the, the dollars, and that's the, the, the rally call and the, the call to action here for you guys. Check it out. Please link to, to that organization and to Mark's fundraiser. Uh, if, it, uh, if it aligns for you, please support them financially. And uh, put in the sweat equity yourself, right? Do the do the hard work, 
uh, do the important thing, which is the, the finances to support this mission and these veterans, but do the hard thing as well. Uh, probably the harder thing for a lot of you guys. See if you can row 22,000 meters, break it up here in February or do it, do it all at once. I'm doing the same thing. You know, I love to mention uh, and highlight these things to you guys because I believe in them and I get behind them myself. So I've got my sweat equity in and I've got my, my dollars in behind Mark and that mission here this month. So good luck and, and kudos again to, to Mark Peavy, his clan, and this month's mission. Get after it with, with Mark and Mission 22. All right, look, uh, Carrie Trainer, Mark, uh, excuse me, Mickey Shook. So Mickey's a funny guy, uh, awesome conversation. He is, and Carrie Trainer is a, a firearms training program. Uh, he's a firearms trainer. Uh, but interestingly, that's not what this episode is about. Uh, so certainly, if you are a, uh, a firearm, a gun owner, or have thought about it, or will be, um, regardless of where you are, brand new or, or have done so for a long time. Um, training is a perishable skill, and it's important to, to stay trained and stay safe. So if, uh, if Mickey and Carrie Trainer are conducting training near you, check them out, certainly, and see if it is, is something that would benefit you to continue to be safe and train and be prepared. But that's not really what this is about. Uh, it's certainly not an episode about firearms. What it is is an episode about about your safety. It's about quality of life. It's about longevity. It's about finding ways to train and to live in service to the community and to your family for a long, long, uh, happy and purposeful time. So it really is about those priorities in life. It's about quality of life. It is about, um, well, really Mickey's advice is about training in, in holistic and practical and prioritize in applicable ways. So before you go out and try to be, you know, John Wick or an EMT, which Mickey is, by the way, uh, trained in, in EMT, uh, any of those things that are deep specialties, you know, start start where it's obvious and apparent and uh, higher priorities, right? It's your health, it's your fitness, it's your nutrition, it's your sleep, recovery, rest, all the fundamentals that, that make for the basis for all these other things. And then he t- he'll talk about in this episode uh, in the interest of, of living a long time and keeping ourselves and our families and friends and loved ones and, and even community and neighbors safe, uh, right? take care of yourself first, get those fundamentals in place, and then figure out sort of layers of priority to where you need to train, where you want to build more skill, where you want to specialize, and, and really what makes sense. So really practical and applicable insight in, in those ways. I think you'll you'll benefit from from this and again, if Mickey's particular particular niche uh, or specialty is what you need, go seek him out. Uh, you'll find links to this one, as, as I'll mention at the end of this episode, and show notes up on the website, as always, for episode 116. Uh, but more importantly, start with the basics. Start with daily consistency. Get yourself healthy, uh, strong, fit, able, flexible, all those things that will lead to your best chances for a long, healthy, and happy life. And then go figure out where you want to, to drill in and specialize and be of the best and highest service to yourself and your family and your community. All right, so that's uh, that's what we're getting after today in this episode. Remember, uh, mendmastery.com slash vets. Check, check out Mark Peavy and Mission 22. And let's jump right in to today's episode and the insight from Mickey Shook of Carrie Trainer. All right, guys, we are rolling. I'm excited today to have uh, Mickey shook on uh mickey do you go by mickey or mick either sticky right. mickey sticky mick mickey the works mick the dick 
Yeah, I've got all kinds of names. St. Nicholas, Michelob. We're going right to the porn names. Awesome. Those are all names that people have called me. Actually, Sticky Mickey was a name that a friend's mother called me when I was in high school. And I was like, what the fuck is that? All right. That's uh, that's a little scary and exciting all at the same time. I am a Michael. So Mickey, Michael. I'm a Michael as well with an Irish background. So we're we're both kind of mixed. Well, look, uh, we're going to jump into some cool stuff today. Uh, Mick, Mikey is uh is the the, the no, man no, behind no mikey, no, mikey. No, mikey. I, I, no i'll let you call me greg before you can call We're me drawing mikey. the line at that all right well i know you're the man behind carrie trainer and you've also got the higher line podcast right there on your on your mic stand um yeah look i i know our audience here is uh is probably ahead of the pack in terms of just self-awareness and self-protection of themselves and their families kind of the sheepdog mentality in the world. I know you've got a, uh, you say, be your own cavalry. Um, look, here's the way I kind of think of it is I know a lot of people have, have, have started down the path and not enough, but a lot of people to just uh, do some simple things in life. We, we have smoke detectors, we have carbon monoxide detectors. We maybe put floodlights on the outside of the house, right? Some proactive things. And then, you know, I live in a, in an area that gets fires and earthquakes. So we want to have some extra food around, but then I don't know, maybe we don't think about having extra water around, but we, you know, start going down this path of awareness and preparation. And I think there's, there's always more to be done on that sort of continuous improvement path, but also feel like there's, there are huge gaps too. You know, maybe yeah. it, like sometimes I go out and I, I buy something cool for the, the home gym and then it sits there and I don't use it. Right. So it doesn't, doesn't do me any good. Or, you know, you specialize in, in part in firearm training. So we've had explosion of, of, uh, of gun purchases. In fact, new gun owners in this country over the last several yeah. years for a lot of reasons, but people buying tools that aren't necessarily going out and training on the tools. So looking forward to just diving in with you today and talking about that, right? Uh, self-protection, health as a, as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a family, and what, what we could do, what we need to do as, a, as an individual, as a country to just be better, better prepared. So maybe let me um, kick it off with this and let you get into some of your background as we go. Um, What I think I know is that first responder departments around this country have, uh, well, we went through huge budget cuts in the global financial crisis back in the last decade. And then we've, we've lost huge amounts of the the force for a variety of reasons over the last couple of years. Um, I kind of feel like in this place where nobody's coming to save me, right? Uh, if they're coming, it might be too late to stop a crime uh, or prevent a crime. It's just there to, to maybe mop it up and, and, uh, and punish after the fact. Um, so is that, uh, is that the reality with the guys you work with around the forces in the, in the country? Are the, are the numbers not really there to support what we would need as, a, as an individual, as a homeowner? Lots to unpack there. You touched on about 87 things. <laughs> I would say, so, you know, we have this humans are interesting, right? We like to make complex things simple, right? Let me come up with this acronym or this, this thing to help me remember. Like even when you teach your kids to tie the shoes, right? I don't even know it. Like, but you take the thing around the, the rabbit runs around the tree and down. I don't remember it, but you know what I'm Loop talking and swoop. about. Yeah. Yeah. We try to come up with this stuff. So little cute isms, nobody's coming to save you. That got coined as a, as a, mental set point to remind people, Hey, I need to have some skills in EMS. I'm an EMT. We use terms like stopgap, 
Uh, I'm going to put my hand with direct pressure on this wound until as a stopgap, I get the pressure dressing out or the tourniquet or whatever the, the thing is. So th- this concept of nobody's coming to save you is a stopgap. Many of my friends are uh, medics, cops, firemen, soldiers, ER doctors, ER nurses, flight medics, they are coming to save you. These people have dedicated their life to it. Uh, I have multiple friends who've been burned, shot. Uh, I've, at my kitchen table a couple of years ago, I had two men were drinking beers and it dawned on me. I'm like, hey, man, I got two guys at my table that have both been shot in the face and they both lived and continued to go on to be coppers and do their job. There is somebody coming to save you, but in the totality of this modern world, you know, it's go to a big city right now and you see farm markets. I grew up in a rural area. I live Northwest of Chicago, about 60, 70 miles. And this used to be one of the largest dairy producing areas of the Midwest and the nation actually. And now there's no dairy farms left, which is fine. It's not a, I don't want to talk about dairy farms, but as I grew up, half the kids were farm kids. I was uh, part of 4-H. I milked goats. I was a goat milking champion. We were not, we lived in kind of like a hobby farm area. So, you know, it was like half city kids, half farm kids, but it was quite normal for every mother to have a garden, right? It was quite normal for, for people to have some chickens or whatever. And then like the legitimate farmers, um, even if they just grew crops, they probably had some cows that they would butcher and eat or some pigs. And that's just was the way of life. Well, we've created this world and it's not a bad thing where now like my town has what's named the best farmer's market in Chicago land. And it's wonderful. You can buy soap, you can buy food, you can buy all of these nice handmade things. And it's become kitschy and cool to go to the farm market and walk around and buy some fucking handmade pickles. And, you know, it, it's cool. It's cool. I love that stuff. And it's funny to me because that's how I grew up. I was just on a road trip uh, a few weeks ago and I was in Ohio or Pennsylvania and I pulled over in this uh, Mennonite farm and I bought, uh, I bought my wife some popcorn. It's like the actual, you know, seeds because she likes to make popcorn on the stovetop. And I grabbed like a pie and a couple things. That's just like normal, right? Now we go to those places as like a vacation, right? There's apple orchards everywhere where you take your family and you drive to the orchard and you take stupid pictures sitting on a bale of hay. And it's, if you think about the totality of what you're doing, you're like, that'd be like driving to like a steel mill. And going and sitting on like a drum of oil with sparks coming down off of like the forge and taking pictures like you're you're going to a farm to take pictures. It's it's weird. So back to your point, nobody's coming to save you. We've just created a different world where we've outsourced everything. And I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just we need to be aware of that. So I've always joked with my special operations buddies, give me a freaking farm kid and like some dude that spent his life as an excavator or a plumber. And we'll sort out any problems that those guys can sort out sans things like, um, uh, you know, communicating with satellites and shit like that, or like, you know, weapons stuff, but we're going to get there. We're going to, we're going to find food. We're going to navigate. We're going to, 
problem solve. We're going to fix the vehicle when it breaks. We're going to procure the items that we need either by coercion or force. That's just like, because that's how you're, you're raised, right? You live out in bumfuck. You figure stuff out. Can I swear? Yeah, I think we're already uh, we're down that rabbit hole. Let's let's roll. Okay, I, I should I should have. No, asked. I, I say figure it the fuck out all the time. So okay. I think that that's right where okay. you're headed. So I think like it's a like I'm pretty simple minded guy, and the way that our training is structured is it always starts with this: what's your goal? So you brought up the gym. How many times you go to a gym, your home gym, or like the big health club, the big box health club? And you just walk in there and you see people farting around on their phone and they do a couple dumbbell curls and they set that down and they fuck around on their phone. And then they walk over here and they do a little bench press and then they lean on the wall and stretch their hammies a little bit. And there's no rhyme or reason to what they're doing. Then you see some dude in there that's super swole or some woman and that guy's got his headphones on. And he's like probably got something that's on his watch with a timer and he's cranking shit out and he goes right to the next thing and right to the next thing and right to the next thing. And then he he's done and he's chugging his freaking post-workout or whatever. And then he blitzes right back to the office after a shower and he's he's in the, he's he's got a plan, right? So I think we too often approach this stuff. I need to do something because nobody's coming to save me. Well, what do you need to do? You got to build a ham radio tower. Do you got to freaking build a bunker? Do you need to learn to be a ninja? Do you need to go find some green berets or Navy seals to teach you to shoot guns, which by the way, are not the best people to teach you to shoot guns. Um, and it's like, what do I do? Right. Oh, well, I'm a, I got a friend that's a doctor. He says, I need to know how to do stitches at home. Or I got a friend that's a farmer. He's going to teach me how to raise goats. Cause those are the best end of the world things. I think that's all kind of silly. I think like, Hey, can you bend down and touch your toes without getting out of breath? Like, let's talk about that first. Or what's in your pantry. You got a bunch of shit that you feed your kids. That's like the milk in the bowl is the color of the rainbow after, and only after they slurp down a hundred grams of sugar. Do, do you, can you read a book or are you constantly forced into staring at a glowing screen, which we're all guilty of? Do you have an attention span where you can just sit and watch the sunset and have your dopamine levels elevated by nature? Or are you the kind of person that sits there and just takes pictures of it so you can, I, I, and I'm not trying to berate anybody. I think we need to start out with what's our goal. So I'll shut up. No, that, that's great. I, I mean, it touches on something that's big for me, which is intentionality. And it, I mean, it does seem like we've, we've gone from extremes um, and that, that extreme of, everybody being extremely specialized mm. and, and by, by virtue of that, you've got to outsource everything that you're not a specialist in. Um, and we can't be, we can't be trained in everything. We can't be specialists certainly in everything, but nope. maybe there's some middle ground there of kind of, you said, you know, if you, if you take two guys that uh, would you say the farmer and the carpenter or something like that, you know, reasonably adaptable, kind of figure out 80% of, of what you would need to, uh, to survive. Maybe they're not going to build an iPhone, right. But can they find some food and water and, and, and stay safe? <clears throat> so where are we starting all that? I mean, I, I, here's, here's the reason I use the ism of nobody's coming to save you is, and it's not for uh, perception of, of lack of, uh, of desire or intention from the, the men and women doing those jobs. I, I know they want to do their best, but I had somebody trying to get in the house, uh, I call, you know, nine one one, 
this really happened. This really mean? happened. Okay. True story from not too long ago. And uh, my, my wife, you know, busts in, in uh, working out because somebody's trying to get in. Right. So by the time uh, I jump on the phone, the, the man had left. And so we got video of, of the guy trying to get in. We got video of the car driving away. And I'm talking to 911 going like this just happened. <laughs> like we've got the plates, the guys in the area, you know, you could catch him and intervene right now. And they go, oh, well, that is not there anymore. It's not an emergency call this other number. And the other number says your number 58 in line will we'll right. call you in a day or two. Right. Um, so that, you know, that was kind of one of my experiences with what is the, what is the staffing level? What is the need that they had to respond and, and their ability to respond? And even if it were like, okay, now I am calling 911 and there is a person that's entered my house and, and there's a threat. Um, you know, how many minutes does it take on average and, uh, you know, what can go down in two, five, 10 minutes? Make no mistake. My point I made is just to make sure that we collectively don't go down. Because if we really believe nobody's coming to save us, we should save all of us a lot of money and cancel all fire departments because I pay 1200 bucks a year to the fire district. We should cancel all police services, all of that. And then we'll just, instead of outsourcing it, We'll do what people used to do, and I'll scream to you to come bring buckets when the barn's on fire, and you'll come help me. And that's how that stuff used to work. So your story is not uncommon, Um, and that's why I do what I do. I I like to use the simple analogy of uh, I do not want to learn how to swim or do CPR when my child's on the bottom of the pool, right? I need to know already know how to do that. You said uh, talked about. I think a moment ago you said um, jack of all trades. Yeah. Yeah. So that full, everybody always says jack of all, master of none, right? You know what the whole quote was? No. Most people don't. A jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Mm. And I, I, I used to have a guy that worked for me. So I'm a carpenter by trade. His name was Frank, probably one of the finest craftsmen I've ever known other than one of my uncles, Uncle Bob, who's an excellent tradesman. But Frank could do plumbing and he could do it well. He could do electrical stuff and he could do it well. If He hated painting, but if forced to, he could paint and make it look good. He could do trim carpentry, rough carpentry. He could do concrete work. He could do any facet of modern construction. And of course, he's not going to do the electrical as fast as a full-time electrician, or he could do the plumbing as fast as a plumber The and quality and um, to code uh, construction would have been or better than code would have been there, but he just didn't have the maybe the, the uh, efficiency that some of these guys that do this one task all day. So I think sometimes we get really narrow minded. I don't watch a lot of TV. I've got a guy coming on our podcast in a couple of days. His, I just looked his name up as you were talking because it popped in my head. His name is Clay. Where is it? Clay. Clay, where are you at, Clay? It's at Clay Hunter. Clay Hayes is his name. Clay, his, his Instagram account is Clay. And now I, I'm going to make him pay me because I'm I'm talking about him <laughs> on your podcast here. Clay was on a TV show. I never watched TV. It's a show that was on um, Netflix called Alone. I'm sure some people on here have seen it. Clay Hayes is his name. And it's like this this 
reality show where they take people out into like the most wild places left on earth. And you win a half a million bucks if you're the longest person that stays there. And these are all like people that are survivalists and, you know, they interview them. Hey, I'm Mike and I'm the survivalist and I teach survival and I'm going to kick butt. And then that guy's crying day three and he wants to go home and he leaves. Right. Well, this guy, Clay won. And he's just like this good old boy that shoot makes bows and, and, and shoots deer. And, and he survived 74 days in this harsh Arctic climate and builds himself a really secure shelter. And where I'm going with this is there's all these other, I think I'm on that season alone and and you just ruined it for me. Are you serious? I think I am. It's the first one I've ever watched. I just turned it on. Was it season eight? I don't know. I don't want to ruin it. But anyway, so here's the analogy though. There's these people and they've got different skills. And you see like one person says, I'm going to invest this resource of calories and energy into building this amazing home. And it's like, wow, that's a really cool, I would have never thought, and I'm a carpenter to have built that thing in the woods. And you could see like, even with tools, if we went in our garage and got pickaxes and shovels and saws, that'd be a lot of work. And they're doing it with sharp rocks and sticks. Like, that's cool. But then this person burned up all their energy. They got a nice place to stay, but now they now they're out eating dirt and, and they got no energy to go find fish or forage. And then there's somebody else that's like, well, I'm the fisher guy. So I'm going to spend all my energy doing fishing stuff. But now my tent is a piece of crap tarp blowing in the breeze. So when the wind comes, I'm freezing and I have to go home. Or I didn't it, you get my point. Right. So it's like this, this idea mm-hmm. of can I look at the big picture, the totality? And this is, I think this story that you're watching is just a microcosm of, of what life is. And it's so funny. I'm not a survivalist. I've spent many months of my life with a backpack on throughout my life. I backpacked all over and camped and stuff, but always with, you know, like fancy stuff, right? We've got jet boils and, 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 you know, even a, even a nice sleeping bag changes everything. And so we go and we watch this stuff and we're so removed from, I like the word vicissitudes, the ebb and flow of the things that life throws to us because you or I could go out in the woods and we're like, all right, this sucks. I'm cold. Let's go back to the house or let's go back and warm ourselves in the truck or let's go back to the hotel. These, our ancestors couldn't do that. They died if they couldn't do that. And we've got, People always compare us to the animals and we are an animal, but we're not like the animals. I've never seen a raccoon construct a skyscraper. I've never seen a deer. I just stopped yesterday. I was glassing a mother and her two fawns by a pond by our house. They're doing the same shit that deer did a thousand years ago. Those deer do not go to Wendy's or McDonald's and pick up salads. Those deers don't go to the DMV and get a driver's license. Those deer don't get on airplanes and take a Southwest flight to Phoenix in the wintertime. They do the same thing deer always did, but we have figured out how to do a lot of things to make things very easy. The industrial revolution changed your and I perception of reality. So I think it's, and it's comical almost when we, we just read comment sections on the internet and people say things like I, I was in a little bit of contact with that author that wrote um, tough times, make hard men, hard men make blah, blah, blah. Right. You remember that? Right. And I commented on that a few times online because I I'm so sick of people reciting it 
because no, the times don't make me, my choices make me. Mm. And, and, and I get it. I, I don't, I travel a lot to like uh, civil war and revolutionary war battle sites. And I do it to remember and be grateful that we get to live here. And there's not, you and I have never walked the streets of our hometown and seen 500 bodies lined up like cordwood or 5,000 bodies and horse flesh rotting in the sun. We've never seen that. And I don't want to. So I go look at that to remember God, we're so we are so weak in so many ways now. But I know that if I was thrust into that, I'd do the same things I do now. And I don't mean it in a way I don't want to come off like like I'm trying to say I'm I'm somebody I'm not. I I'm saying we choose how to deal with life and in the circumstances. So somebody comes to your house and pounds on the door. This is what you're talking about is the basis of my life's work here. Well, what's the big picture? Do you have a gun? Well, that's not really the issue either. Like, let's talk even more holistically. What's, is there some type of rings of security around your property? Is there a fence? Is there things that deter somebody coming near your house? Is it uninviting? Do you have a dog? Do you have cameras? Does that, what are the locks and doors and things like that look like? Is there something to alert you such as a motion sensor cameras uh, a, a burglar alarm. Do you have weapons? Do you have a fallback system? Does the family know that if this alarm goes off to immediately retreat to this space, even if you're not home? I just, you know, for example, right. it, and of course, everybody's life's different. Are you a single guy or do you, are you a single mom? Do you have five little kids? Are your kids grown? Do you live in a high rise? Do you live in the country? And we don't think about these things too often until it gets too late. And then once in a while, people do things uh, and they start to go down these rabbit holes of I need to build a fortress or I need to get all this firewood. Right. Just like the people on that show. And they're not looking at the big picture. And here's the big picture. I want to be alive. I don't want to come home and find my wife bloody on the floor because some fucking drug addict came in the house to steal my TV to buy heroin or crack. And my wife got killed in the bargain. So me thinking about that when I find her bloody body doesn't, doesn't work for me. And that, I, I don't know how many times over the years, and I'm going to shut up because I'm talking a lot that I've heard people say to me, dude, all you're such a downer. Like you post pictures of people like shot, da, 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 da. Uh, you know, like that's all you think about. It's hardly all I think about. In fact, most of the day I'm laughing and joking and listening to nice music and reading books and, and having a great time. And I'm able to do all that because I've done the things to prepare myself that if calamity comes, it's not something I've seen or thought about for the first time. And therein lies the truth. Uh, even if we've never seen a thing, I never have done the Heimlich maneuver on somebody. I'm a CPR instructor. I have never done it for real until I did. I mean, what are you going to do? Take somebody and shove a chunk of meat in their throat and be like, let's practice this, right? So you, you understand the, the principle and then you practice the technique that supports the principle. Then you, in your mind, create some, some situations where, if, sorry, hitting the microphone, I hope we're not coming up with noise, but we create the situation and we tell ourselves if A, B, and C happens, I know what to do and I will act. So you create this, this trigger mechanism that you're not the person standing there drop jawed or, or worse filming it and you do what requ is required. And then one day, 
nature called upon me and I did the Heimlich maneuver, big deal. But I only bring it up because too often we hear people say things like, well, you're never going to know what you do till you get into the moment or it's very unlikely that'll ever happen. So why bother? Uh, or that's just not anything I'm interested in. Well, until that's your grandma or your kid, and then you're going to be really pissed off that you didn't invest that little bit of energy. So I kind of bounced around a little bit there. I was thinking about a few things that you touched on as you talked about that, but I think our goals matter. And then what we want matters. Uh, and by that, I mean, for me, my goal is quite simple. So I've got like all these different things. I'm looking out into the office and I've got a gym out there with all kinds of fun apparatuses I play with. I don't do that because I like being hot and sweaty. I do that because I enjoy being fit enough to move like a younger man and go for walks and play. And I got nephews that wrestle with me that are half my age and I beat their ass and that feels nice. And I, I, I enjoy those things. So the, the, that work has a net benefit that everything we do with the firearms, I don't really care about guns. I was on a podcast or interviewing on a guy the other day, and he, he was nervous that all we were going to do is talk about guns. He's a world champion shooter. I said, I don't want to talk about guns. I mean, guns are boring. I want to talk about like what made you a world champion, right? So I do all of this stuff because I want to live period. I want to live and I want to live because I enjoy it. And I think that's why most people stress and why we get worried because we're worried that life is going to end or life is going to change or life is going to be unfun. If I don't pay the bills, they're going to shut the water or the electric off. If I don't pay the bills, I'm going to lose my home. If I don't make enough money, my kids can't eat or go to school or have nice things. And all of those things are legitimate. But if we think about what we really want, and I think you and I are about the same age. Money's great. Give me a billion dollars. But do I need it? No, I don't. I need food and I need shelter and I need love. And then I can be happy. I mean, give me some books and a fire and I'm a happy dude. 25 year old me would have been like, yeah, yeah, I want all that shit and a jet, right? And a jet ski. I'll right. shut up. Yeah, no, 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 it's great. You touched on some great stuff there. I'll, I'll mention one. Uh... One plug for you, if, if you haven't come across Michael Easter and the book Comfort Crisis, uh, it, it's a great look a, at uh, some of what you're talking make about, Make a note right? here. Yeah, Michael Easter, Comfort Crisis. I think he's a professor at UNLV. And um, so, you know, you may, I don't know if you're a hunter, but it's it's sort of uh, his his journey as a journalist on a caribou hunt and then kind of getting sucked into uh, exploring that Um you know, from start to finish as he prepared and as, as he went through the process, but more expansively, it, it is really about, um, you know, we, we're the humans, not the deer, as you talked yeah. about earlier, and we've created all these comforts, which in a lot of ways are great. Um, but then we have our choices around those things and, and, you know, how do we use those modern tools and amenities? Um, do we use them to our detriment or do we use them to our health and vitality? So, um, yeah, he'd be great if you haven't come across Michael. Um, I just I just bought the book on Audible. There you go. Bam. Yeah. Modern so, convenience, man. Modern convenience, instant gratification. And uh, yeah, have, have him on the podcast if you like. Great dude. He um he was on ours and a couple, I mean, he he set me down a path on a number of things, but a couple that I want to ask you about just in terms of um, where we choose to spend our time 
and training and our intent or our goals um, uh, and around some of the things you train, right? So I was just signing my son up. Uh, competitive club soccer is, is his thing. Cool. And uh, so just signing him up for a new club, new team, new season. I'm signing off on all these waivers, right? It's the concussion waiver and this and that. And I, and I came across one of them that I, I don't think I'd noticed before. And it was the um, something that says the leading cause of death in sort of these children of sports age or teenage uh, is uh, SCA, sudden cardiac arrest, a, an electrical failure of the heart versus like a blockage type of a heart attack, which I had no awareness that this was a was a thing for, for kids and for athletes. And I, I had just recently gone to some training where we, we got CPR certified and we got trained on the AED, the defibrillator, mm-hmm. and, and had an opportunity to, to buy a portable one. And I was like, well, you know, I just got trained up on it. Uh, might never use it, right? Kind of something you mentioned earlier, but, you know, I, I, I'm now trained on it. I need to do more training on it, but I, I'm, uh, I have the opportunity to buy it. I can afford to buy it. And I did buy it and I, I ended up uh, kind of, you know, it goes in the car, it goes in the bag, goes in the house, thinking like, hope to never use it. Um, don't know if I even ever would use it. And then I read this thing that goes like, oh my gosh, this is a problem with, uh, with kids sports. And we're out at these huge soccer tournaments where you got a guy that can, um, you know, help somebody that's fallen or maybe call an ambulance if there's a more severe problem. But I don't even think those, they don't call them medics, they call them trainers, right? At these kind of events. So um, I, I guess the, the question there is because you train CPR and, and you do some uh, EMT related training, um, you know, thoughts on that? Like how much of a real thing is that? What do you recommend for people in terms of CPR training or do you go fully into like, should I have an AED in my car? So I carry an AED. Um, so VFib that you're talking about, uh, that's got a good story about that. So friend of mine, firefighter paramedic, I'm actually going to be at his daughter's wedding tomorrow. His name's Dan. Awesome dude. Off duty, Dan has saved numerous lives just because of, of, of two things. He, he's in the right place at the right time and has the know-how and he's willing. So three things, I guess. He's at a kid's baseball game. His kid's up was like a star pitcher uh, in, in, when he was in little league and stuff. And a dad went down and ha- was having a sudden cardiac arrest. So Dan's working him over uh, doing CPR. Everybody had left. There was just a few people still on the field. They're at a school. He directed somebody to break into the school while he's working this guy with uh, with quality CPR and a term you just learned, high quality CPR, if you just did that, right? Yep. They talked to you about high quality. I don't recall high quality. You just did CPR? I did. Uh, April. Yeah. Yeah. So, And this was through the American Heart Association, I'm assuming? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. High quality CPR is like the current vernacular, but it okay. doesn't okay. matter. So he, somebody broke into the school, right? Like kicked the freaking school door open or broke a window and retrieved an AED, which are in all the buildings. And this man would be completely dead otherwise. And that there's a lot of things I think to unpack out of that. First of all, American Heart Association puts these stats out. They think there are hundreds of thousands of people that would be alive every year if people knew basic high quality CPR, but then did it. Um, People don't act. If you go on my Instagram page, uh, today is the 5th of August. So I don't know when you'll publish this, but 
but it's back around the 5th of August. You'll see a picture of a young lady whose face is gushing blood. Um, somebody shot her randomly as she's driving in Portland. This happened in the last 24 hours, 36 hours. For some reason, she's filming herself. My thought is, is she probably is like trying to see her face and turned her camera on. So if you go to the, it's been viewed 100,000 times on my channel in the last 24 hours and people, the comments tell the tale of what the average man or woman's thinking about. And they're like, why the hell is she filming herself? What a dumb bitch. Why is she filming herself? Not thinking this person got shot in the face. Maybe they're not thinking clearly. Maybe, and maybe just, and I'm just surmising that she probably was trying to see herself. Somebody comes up to help her and you can hear their voice off camera. They're trying to calm her down. They don't touch her. They don't take her out of the vehicle. They don't apply any kind of pressure. She, the bullet looks like it grazed her cheekbone and punched a hole clean through her nose. It looks like, looks like she's dying from the amount of blood loss. I'm sure she's going to be fine, but this bullet just punched through her nose, probably through the, the septum and created a tremendous amount of blood loss. The reason I talk about this is let's be honest. Uh, I'm not a surgeon. I'm, I'm a lowly EMT, right? So EMR, EMT, E, EM, uh, uh, EMT paramedic, and then you start getting into higher levels of it. So um, the job of a, somebody that has my skill set is secure life, keep them safe, and get them to a higher level of care. Well, that still took me about a year of training to get that. And I mean, it was to the point, and, I, and I've done this twice in my life, that program. Uh, every free minute I had to study, to read, to do the homework, that's a lot, right? For a job that I don't really do, I teach some of the stuff, but I'm not doing it. So do, do people really have that kind of time? No, they don't. So what are you wanting to be able to do? I'm going to bust the balls of a family member of mine. I was with him a few weeks ago and he tells me him and his son, who's in college, witness a horrific car crash. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's terrible. What happened? Well, we didn't get out. We didn't want to see any of that. So I'm like, you didn't even like check to see if like anybody was okay. Like you didn't do nothing. Well, we talked about it. Oh, like, and he goes, God, it's my worst fear that one of my boys would be in a car crash like that. And I go, yeah, that's a pretty bad fear of mine. I go probably above that though, is to think about my kids in that kind of situation and people like you sit in their fucking car because they're afraid to see some blood or something. So that being said, too many people are just not willing. I, I don't want to digress from your point, but I have multiple stories and people sometimes think I'm full of shit because I tell these stories and it's like, there's no way all these things have happened to me. And the interesting thing, my takeaway is all of these things happen to you too. I just have chosen my life sometimes to intervene in certain situations that maybe others have drove right past. Uh, one time driving down a road, a lady was pulled off kind of funny into a construction zone where her truck or her car was dumped over. I pulled over. She was in diabetic shock and we were in the middle of nowhere. She started biting me and chewing on me. And I'm like, oh, I, I kind of like don't know what's going on here. But I knew enough to send my brother down the road to find a spot that we could call somebody that this is before cell phones and get an ambulance there. She'd have died. Right. Just that we. I don't, and I don't want to come off saying like, we're, you know, like these do-gooders, maybe it's because I'm curious. I don't know. 
I pulled over one time in a snowstorm watching two men, what I thought to be beating up a man in a wheelchair. My wife was with me so she can corroborate this story. And I get out in this blizzard. There's two men beating up a guy in a wheelchair in the middle of the road. And they're screaming for help. I can hear this man screaming for help. So I run up there in the snowstorm. I stopped far enough back because I didn't want my, my then girlfriend, now wife, to be involved. And I realized it's the guy in the wheelchair beating these two guys up. He's taking them and slamming their heads together. But like the things you see, if you just like stop and look around. I told a story on a podcast recently of being 18 years old. I was teaching a girl how to drive a wave runner. We're on a lake in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, Labor Day weekend. And we went off to like a quiet area of this huge part of this lake. It's a glorious lake. Looks like, um, looks like something you'd see in like upstate New York or something. Beautiful hills around the lake, big trees and beautiful clear water. And there's hundreds of boaters everywhere, jet skis everywhere. And there's all these companies that rent boats and jet skis. So you get a bunch of people that are not skilled driving boats and jet skis. And I'm, I'm sitting behind her and I'm telling her how to use the controls and we're talking and we're, we we're off far enough away that it's quiet. And you hear these two machines and we're watching these two machines, like a hundred yards from us, maybe 200 yards and I just took notice of them. And we watched these two jet ski wave runners with two people on each. And they slam head on into each other doing 40, 50 miles an hour. And you hear the bodies, you know, that sound of we've all heard like a car crash. It's not a sound you hear often, but you could hear if you hunt the sound of a bullet or an arrow hitting flesh, you know, the sound you could hear the bodies slap. And I was like, oh, fuck. So we go flying over there. And the memory that sticks out to me, two specific memories, one person was conscious of the four, one was immediately killed. And I held three of them in my arms in the water, screaming for help, like, cause I didn't know what else to do. And the one woman's neck was completely ripped open and I could see the blood bubbling out as she's breathing through her open trachea. And we finally get the people that are out there as lifeguards in a boat to come help us. Their radio doesn't work. They have no real medical training. They have no medical equipment. So I help them get these people into the boat. And then I go flying on my machine into the, uh, the Harbor to get the sheriff's office where they threatened to write me a ticket. Cause I was going through the no wake zone and I'm covered in blood and I'm like trying to tell them what's going on out there. So they go out there and my point in that story is the whole thing was only a few minutes long, but almost nobody in the scenario knew anything to provide aid other than us trying to get them back to shore. We didn't have the tools. We didn't have the equipment. Uh, I mean, I knew they shouldn't be face down in the water and that was about it. I knew CPR in those days, but if your throats opened up, I don't have anything to do for you. Right. And you could live through that. A couple of them ended up dying, but that, really impressed upon me as a young man, the guy that was alive in that situation was dumbstruck sitting on his machine, kind of looking. And it was two couples, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, just days, probably head trauma. Mm -hmm. So he was useless. People could get trained for anything. I have friends that are surgeons. They could teach me to do all kinds of cool stuff, right? You could, you could learn how to do all kinds of amazing things, but 
what are you really willing to do? I get a question constantly. I have a kit that I carry that's about $5,000 of medical equipment. All of those things I have training to use that are in there. Well, should I buy one of those? Not if you don't know how to use it. You know, I, I don't, I don't even know how to properly use like the thing that you put a football on to kick it. So it, like, I don't play sports, right? Uh, there's a lot of shit people buy that they don't need. So what are you willing to do? I know you asked a simple question, but I don't like simple answers when they don't fit, fit the bill. What are you actually willing to do? Uh, and understand that certain situations injecting yourself into them could be detrimental to your health. Uh, something as far as, is am I injecting myself in violence or, uh, body substance isolation, right? PPE, personal protective equipment. Do I have the right things? People have things like hepatitis, HIV, viruses, all kinds of, of nasty stuff that you might rush to their aid and now you've got some nasty staph infection or whatever um, that, that can alter or change your life. So are you willing to expose yourself to that? Are you, are you uh, in, the, in the bargain of being valuable to others willing to take a loss. So I want to read you something. Can I please? So this was what I put on that post. I think it perfectly answers the question of, of what you're talking about. I sound like a real arrogant prick. Let me read you what I wrote, but I think, I think it sums up because I took the time to wrote it better than me trying to remember. So this is the girl with her. I mean, I can even like show you do you, can you see her? Uh, yeah, I kind of see, kind of see, got a little reflection kinda going, but yeah. So what I wrote was, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. One, if that was my wife, my daughter, my sister, how would I want a stranger to treat her in this situation? What would I hope someone would be capable of doing for them? So of course, I don't ever assume my wife's going to randomly be shot in the face by like a stray bullet, but a car crash, something. What would I want if my wife, my daughter, my loved one, my mother, whoever, my kid was fucked up on the side of the road? What, what kind of person would I hope would be around them? And then this second question, what kind of man or woman do I want to be? If I'm a bystander, do I want to be someone capable and willing to be of use to myself and others? I kind of get a little esoteric on the tail end of this. What tales will they say of me when I'm dead and gone? And I don't mean it like I want to do things so people talk about me because that's, that's not the point. But to hear my family member the other day say that they did nothing when somebody was in need, I think that's the greatest sin of mankind. And I don't mean it in a religious sense. If you are capable of doing some good in a situation and you do nothing, I mean, that's almost, that's almost worse than just doing bad things, right? You get what I'm saying? I mean, I don't want people to misunderstand my point. So we can't do everything. I can't fight a forest fire. I, I can't lift a freaking semi-truck off of somebody, but I can do something. And in that situation, maybe that something would have been sitting with that girl, putting her into a position where she could breathe and help her by letting her, comforting her. I, I, I you know, I wasn't there. But just these different situations that arise, we could spend our whole life planning for things that might never happen. So back to your point, I think that we should be physically fit to what degree 
Uh, do you need to be able to run an ultra marathon? No, I don't even want to run five miles. I probably can run maybe five and then I'm going to hate life because I hate running. But I think you should be able to carry your own body weight. I think you should be able to bench press your own body weight. Of course, as we age, there's not a lot of 80 year old guys bench pressing 200 pounds. So we need to be reasonable, but I think we should be capable of bending over and tying our shoes. Like I said, without getting out of breath, climbing a few flights of stairs. And I think a good mental checkpoint on that is, is my, not only am I capable of rescuing others, but am I rescue a bull? Like if I can't carry your fat ass out of a building or drag you off the highway, am I really being a good steward to others? No, I'm now creating a situation where somebody else is going to jeopardize even their back, hurting their back to move my fat ass. And people get mad sometimes when I say this, but if you're being honest about it, we're not made to carry tons of weight on us. This modern uh, marketing that's gone on by, by the fashion industry, makeup industry about like loving yourself, no matter like where we all come in different shapes and sizes is bullshit. We are not made to carry a bunch of weight. And yes, you should love yourself, but you should also love yourself enough to make good choices and not fucking weigh 200 pounds and die of diabetes and a heart attack. I'm not I'm just bringing that up. So should I be, I need to be physically fit. Then I need to sit down and decide what level of skills am I willing to garnish and work for? And then that will tell you what kind of stuff you need. If I only want to learn CPR, which is a great thing to do. I recommend everybody goes and gets trained in CPR and then spends two to $500 on a nice set of dummies. You can order them on Amazon. You can order them from a hundred companies. And then maybe every 30 days, 90 days, depending on the time you have practice for 10 minutes. Imagine if you practiced 10 minutes once a month or once a quarter, how much better you're going to be at that than somebody that every two years has somebody come to the office and you and your coworkers fuck around in the cafeteria or in the, you know, one of the, one of the meeting rooms, you know what I mean? Now this stuff's in your brain. So what level of training are you willing to commit to? Um, I think like a simple analogy of that would be in shooting. If I am only willing to become proficient at shooting 10 yards and in, cool. I know I'm never going to take a shot beyond 10 yards. If I'm willing to become proficient at 25 yards and in, cool. I'm never going to take a shot beyond 25 yards. And I, by take a shot, I'm talking about in some type of self-defense, save, saving life situation. And I, I think too often we don't, you said specif- specif- uh, say that word for me. It's a hard one sometimes. Uh, specializing or specificity. Said, correct. Yeah. Thank you. I, I think we need to spell that stuff out. What am I, what skills am I really willing to invest energy in to be good at? Because if you don't having the equipment, you're probably w- wasting your money for one. And two, you could cause harm to others. Um, or maybe doing nothing and just securing the area and, and, and being a good witness or helping somebody by let, just being there with them might be better than trying to do some type of medical intervention that you don't have skills for. Uh, so no, that's, yeah. a, that's a great distinction. And, and it's different than doing nothing, which is where you started, right? Yeah. Absolutely nothing versus maybe non intervention, but still, you know, doing something. And, and in terms of being capable, being willing, 
and putting in the repetitions to continue to train and stay sharp on, on what you're willing to train up on and, and, uh, and do. Um, so just in the, in the maybe 10 or 15 minutes we got left here, let's, let's talk about what you spend a lot of your time doing, which is, is training around firearms. Uh, I mean, super polarizing topic. We could, we could spend a whole show just talking about, uh, media and politics around that. But in terms yeah. of what you do with Carrie trainer, traveling around the country and offering firearms training. I, I heard a good, um, let me throw this out there as, as a lead into what you do in that uh, line of business. I heard a distinction recently. A question was asked uh, with, with firearms. Um, do you shoot or have you shot as distinct from have you trained? Mm-hmm. And I think this, this is kind of that progression of you know, somebody who's made the, made the uh, decision to own a firearm and then maybe mechanically learned how to use it, went out and shot it versus going through some deeper levels of training uh, in terms of what they're capable of doing and willing to do. So maybe talk about that a little bit in terms of what you, what you train with, uh, with your business and uh, sure. how you do it, where you do it. We specialize in helping everyday people. And by everyday people, I mean uh, anybody from a law enforcement officer to your wife or my daughter who's a legal age to own a pistol, just for the record, uh, become proficient in violence with guns. And that's a, a, a very broad distinction. I coined that phrase a couple of years ago after attending, I've attended over a thousand hours of professional training as a student, trained thousands of hours you know, off of like some pr- formal training uh, program. I train about three to 400 hours a year in jujitsu and I train around the country. When I travel, I'll go to other gyms and I've noticed that some people, and I don't care what your motive is, but just be honest with yourself why you're doing something. I train for violence. I don't want to be involved in violence. I'm not looking for violence. I'm not interested in, in violence, but make no mistake. There's a difference between shooting and training in general, and training for violence. And that comes down to um, a very broad scope of of things from weapons selection, gear selection, how we place the stuff on us, uh, how often we train with it, the systems with which we we deploy the weapon, the systems with which we keep the weapon working, Um, even the manner in which we hold it. Can it be stripped from me or taken from me if I'm wet, cold, tired, bloody, et cetera, if somebody's got their hand on it? Do I have ways and means that I can can uh, uh, work through that problem? Uh, in addition to that, what are the legal, moral, ethical ramifications of my actions? Uh, do I have a broad picture of that so that I don't use force in a situation where force isn't, isn't present? Um Training can be a million things. Training is not watching videos. Uh, We talk about sports for a moment. Your son plays soccer. I could go watch the finest soccer team in the world every day for the rest of my life until the day I die at 101 years old. And that does not mean that I will know how to play soccer, right? I I might know all the rules. I might know a lot about the game and the nuances of how different players do things. But it does not mean that I have any ability to play soccer. So too often we have this uh, and and you can develop a huge amount of knowledge on a subject by viewing, but you have to do. 
you have to go out and do. And I think, again, what's my goal? If I have this weapon to protect myself, I need to be involved in training that supports me winning in violence. And that is the mechanical skills that you talked about, how I load, unload, draw, point, shoot, et cetera. But then how, what kind of operating system have I created and am I constantly supporting? Because because I did something once, it doesn't mean it's good today. Because I did something, I might've been a champion at something at one point, doesn't mean I'm still good at it five or 10 years later. So I need to have some way that I continue to, to work on that. Uh, and, and build that. I think too often we think the tool uh, somehow will manifest uh, itself like, like Excalibur sword or something will rise to the occasion. And that's a fallacy. Uh, garbage in, garbage out. I think we need to uh, be really, again, specific in how we approach training. So that is what our training is focused on. Um, it's nothing complicated. It's nothing that I say is only my stuff. Um, people look at me and go, who the hell is this guy? He's not a soldier. He's not a cop. Well, I'm, I'm honored and grateful to have men that are come from the highest echelons of special operations and law enforcement that um, refer us and pay kudos and work with me uh, and su- support our brand. So that that's validation, but I don't need the validation because uh, if you, I don't know how many, how many hours of training you do to get like a four-year degree or a master's degree or a doctorate, but I've done way more than that with the, with the tools. So you develop a body of work and then what you try to do is get rid of all the shit that's not there. And that's what we've really done. I want to take somebody in two or three days and give them a base of knowledge that when they go home, you start to think about things holistically. Why is this man in my backyard? How could I approach this in a situation, this situation to give me the best outcome desirable, which would be not having to hurt somebody, making him leave. Uh, is this guy having some type of diabetic issue? People lose their freaking mind when, when you, you have a blood sugar issue. He could think he's at his brother's house. He could think he's at his own house, right? Maybe he's off of medication. I'm just, for example, and then you shoot and kill this person that you think is trying to break in to your home, which you wouldn't know, right? So we, we want to be able to have a set of skills that are so ingrained that when it comes time for me to draw this gun and, and make holes in flesh, that happens not at a subconscious level, but the how I grip the gun, how I press the trigger, all of that is happening at a deeper level of subconscious skills, but my conscious brain can process. That's, that's kind of where our stuff uh, lies. So two, two questions on that. And you might've effectively just answered one of these, which is um, what, what makes your training different than, than others. And, um, and, and just in terms of availability, I think you, you've, I think you've effectively said it, it's kind of open to anybody on the full range of spectrum. So uh, how often do you run it? Where do you run it around the country? Uh, things like that. We've got a handful of courses that pertain to rifle and pistol. And then we run an event twice a year called the S12 event. That's our kind of our flagship thing. Food lodging is included. I bring a corporate chef out. Uh, we've got a craft beef company, Colorado craft beef that supplies us some amazing beef. And we 
That is TCCC, Tactical Combat Casualty Care. So it's medical training coupled to combatives training, coupled to handgun training, coupled to breath and wellness work. I mentioned when we were offline about my friend Brian McKenzie. So Brian's there, my friend Z Durham, Paul Sharp, D-Day Response Group. So that like we do things like that where you have this total immersive experience to one day of shooting pistol. This stuff's all over the country. Uh, People that are could or should come anybody that's legal to own a firearm and is open-minded my shirt says train naked there's a actually after i made this phrase i saw that there's a guy that's got a book or something called train naked it's an old term right it's an old greek the greeks uh would come into their their uh wrestling training rooms and they'd strip all their clothes off and it's not a weird greek thing but (laughs) a sign would be over the door that basically translated to come as you are enter as you are like just me it's just me what you see here there's no weapons there's no pretension there's no preconceived ideas there's no bullshit there's no uh dogma it's just me and like what do you got This is what I bring to bear. What do you bring to bear? And so that's who I think people that are open-minded, what makes us different? Make no mistake. There are many great people in this field. I could name 50 of them if I had the time right now, mentors of mine, people that are are friends, coworkers. Um, What I try to do, what we do well is create an environment where we get a lot done in a little amount of time. I work like a, like a dog. And I'll work people like a dog. I'm carpenter by trade. We show up, we work eight to nine hours. We take very little breaks each day. Um, I feel something like this. Let's just dig in, get this material done. We repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat until the repetitions are pounded in and we correct and correct and correct until it's done right so that you're not leaving doing things incorrectly. But I try to make it fun. I think that we learn best when we're having fun. When we enjoy the atmosphere that we're in, uh, anybody, anytime is going to have a better work day when they're laughing and having a good time versus when they're pissed off and angry or worried uh, or stressed. So we try to really bring a lot of uh, joy to the training environment. I'm a happy guy. I love laughing and joking, and I'll be as serious as we need to be in the, in the moments that we need to be, but that's kind of what we do different. I hear from a lot of students, man, I really enjoyed uh, the training because a lot of guys are like super serious or like, you know, trying to like, maybe, I don't know, maybe come off like hard asses or something where I'm the opposite. I want to have fun. That's why I'm doing, I want to live, right. I want to enjoy life. I don't want to be unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why, why do it otherwise? Uh, so I know you got your website, carrytrainer.com. Um, what's the Instagram handle also carry Carrie trainer. trainer. All right. We'll get links to all this stuff up. Uh, so you're based in the Midwest. I know you guys, you go East. I saw some classes out in Pennsylvania, coast uh, to coast, brother, coast to coast. Okay. I just saw at a quick glance, you, I, you got some stuff coming up in Arizona. I was just in months. Washington state. Okay. We'll be in Florida. We'll be in Tennessee. We'll be in Ohio. We'll be in, uh, New Jersey. Yeah. I go coast to coast, California, or you don't, uh, I have been to California many times. Um, Temecula, uh, is an area that we've been to a few times up North 
Concord area, Concord. I don't know how you guys say it out there on the on the east. No they idea. say Concord. On the west, maybe they say Concord. Up in the the Bay Area, um, yeah. I, I don't. I love coming to California. Uh, the problem is, is that a lot of the ranges that I deal with out there are always like in flux with management and things like that. So I'm not going to jump through hoops to deal with range ownership. Yeah, want us, no, no. Want us it's, there? Um... Don't make it hard. Yeah, it's it's sometimes hard. Well, yeah, I'm a SoCal guy, so if you make it back out to Temecula, uh, I'd love to connect, or uh, maybe I'll shoot over it. to shoot over to Arizona when you're out there in March. I think I saw. Um, well, we fantastic, man. We, we could go on people. here a long time. Uh, I'm I'm passionate about this stuff, and I, and I know people want to do the best by themselves and by their families, and um, you know, live, have fun, be happy, go home safe. And there are a lot of ways we can spend some time to to help give ourselves a better chance to do that for ourselves, for our families. And then, as you said, maybe be trained and be willing to, to help others if, um, if that's how we're wired. So I appreciate what you're doing out there. I appreciate there's a lot of quality stuff out there while at the same time, there's not, but thank you for the mission you're on and, and what you're doing for the world. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. It means a lot. No, no, no. My pleasure. I'd love to have you back and, and dig into some more of this, especially if I get a chance to come out and work with you and, and Brian McKenzie. Do it. Um, I want to know, I want to know more about the S12 event as well. Is there something on your website about about the big event? 100%. Uh it's, it's it's definitely on there. It's uh next one is in October. October. Nothing like it. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Um I do want to as I said, you know, love to have you back, but I want to get into the politics of this some other time. But Mickey, again, thank you so much for today. Have an amazing weekend. Appreciate your time, brother. Thank you you too. As a quick one to wrap up here on episode 116, thank you again to Mickey Shook of Carry Trainer. Make sure you hit the show notes and the links here in the episode. Uh, that's mendomastery.com slash 116 to seek out Mickey, find his website, check him out on social media. Uh, he posts stuff that you know our, our social media may find a bit controversial at times. It may shadow ban at times. This is certainly not meant to, to glorify or... Uh, to promote um, anything really other than awareness and ultimately safety. So, you know, awesome guy. And, and again, yet another person that's that's really just here to, to serve and to make himself better and, and those around him. So check out Mickey, check out Kerry Trainer. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We got another one coming right up on the heels of this one that I mentioned here in the last episode. Uh, these ones that are in the can, we're getting them out to you as, as fast as we can. And uh, looking forward to continuing to serve with you guys. So remember, 22,000 meters, 22 kilometers rowing this month. Um, if, it's, if it's easy, do more. If you need to, do less. Break it up. And please consider supporting that mission, that cause, and that challenge financially as well. Uh, hashtags for that. Links, as mentioned. Get behind Mark. Get behind Mission two, 22. And uh, yeah, get out there and get after it, guys. Get some. <laughs>